chapter 9 is going to be our text this morning. We're 29. As we turn here to Mark chapter 9, um, I want us to think about how often we see God do big things. Uh, thinking about the supernatural work of God and how, how we see that. As we would open up our Bibles, we realize that we have a supernatural God who can do all things. Uh, on Wednesday nights, we are spending time talking about the character of God. And one of the attributes of God that we talked about a few weeks ago is God's unlimited power. And as we read our Bibles, we see evidence of that over and over and over again of this incredible power of God being poured out in the lives of people just like you and me. That we see in the book of Acts in a very unique time period that God pours out the Holy Spirit and, and thousands and thousands of people are being saved. And as we look at those and as we read in church history and we see these great movements of God, I, I trust that they excite you. That you're excited about the things that God has done in the past. And also, I believe we also have great confidence that God can do big things now. But I often wonder if sometimes we're a little burdened about how often or how little power we often see of God in our own lives. As we think about our own personal ministries, maybe we look at the ministry of a church, we look at the ministry of a, of a certain ministry within the church, and, and it's a faithful ministry, good things going on, right kind of things being taught, but just not much going on. And we wonder, where is the power of God in that? I think sometimes even in our personal lives that it can be very easy for us to have a spiritual dullness a spiritual dullness that kind of exists over us. It's a cloud that we, we would love to see God do big things, but we've almost kind of settled that, well, the way it's always been is the way it's always going to be, and there's a spiritual flatness that ends up in our lives. Well, this morning we're going to take a look at that, and we're going to look at what this passage teaches us about, about faith and about, about our response and the responsibility that we have and how the things that God's doing and teaching us in this passage are things that we can be learning in our own lives to be able to engage with the power of God in a supernatural way. That's the goal this morning. Well, as we set the context for our passage, we're in Mark chapter 9. In the context of this passage, Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God. He's been calling people to repent, to believe the gospel. He's been performing all kinds of miracles to demonstrate that he is indeed God, that he has all power and all authority. We saw in the passages just leading up to this that Jesus opens blind eyes physically, but also spiritually. He opens eyes, but then not only does God open eyes, then he sharpens our vision. Over time, we, we develop a sharper spiritual vision, and God does that as he matures, the, matures us. And in chapter 9 last week, we saw that Jesus took three guys, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain with him, and he was transfigured before them. They were, Jesus was transformed, and his glory shone brightly to Peter, James, and John. Not only that, but they were joined by Moses and Elijah. So this incredible experience up on this mountain has just happened. And now Jesus and the disciples are coming down off the mountain. And so that's where we pick up our passage this morning in verse 14. It says, when they, that would be Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the disciples, that's the other nine. So when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And when he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. 
And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at his mouth, and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast him out, but they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire, into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said that he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand. He took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. As we look at this passage this morning, we see a father uh, with a boy who's troubled. And as Jesus' disciples are coming off the mountain, there's this argument going on. And the argument is between the scribes, they're the religious leaders, and Jesus' other nine disciples. And it may have had to do with the fact that the disciples couldn't cast out this demon. And so there's some controversy going on as Jesus comes down. And as he comes down, then a father speaks up. He doesn't give anybody a chance to answer the question about why are you arguing. This dad's desperate. He knows Jesus can heal. He knows he's heard stories. He knows Jesus is able to do amazing things. Not only that, he believes that the disciples can do amazing things because he brought his boy to the disciples first. And he brings this boy to the disciples. And we read about this boy, and and he has what we would look at and probably call something like epilepsy, that he's mute so he can't talk. But it talks about that, that he gets thrown down. There's this violent almost getting thrown to the ground. His muscles becoming all tense and he becoming tight. He's foaming at the mouth and he's grinding his teeth. What would look like an epileptic type seizure. And his dad's been dealing with this for, it says, since he was a boy. And he's finally found somebody who can help. And he's brought them to the disciples and brings them to Jesus. And we ask the question, we, would say, we might ask the question, well, why did he bring them to the disciples first? I mean, it makes sense to us that he'd bring him to Jesus because, well, Jesus is God. He has all authority. But why the disciples? Well, let's look back in Mark 3. Look, turn back a few, chap- few pages. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible close to you, and I would encourage you to follow along with us. Uh, this passage is on 838. And so the question, why did they take this boy and want the disciples to cast out this spirit? And we read in chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, after the disciples, Jesus calls the disciples to himself, it says, And he appointed twelve, whom he named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. 
When Jesus called the 12 disciples to himself, he gave them authority to preach, and he gave them authority to cast out demons. Turn with me then to chapter, chapter 6. And so Jesus calls the disciples to himself. They're with him. They're learning. They're seeing all kinds of things of Jesus. And Jesus is going to now send them out on a mission. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Okay, so Jesus calls them to preach and to have authority over it. And now he's sending them out to exercise that authority. Well, how does that go? Look down in verse 12. So they went out and they proclaimed to the people that they should repent. And then verse 13. And they cast out many demons and, to, and anointed with oil many who were sick and he healed them. And so this dad had the right idea. He's heard that these disciples have authority to cast out demons, and they have successfully done that in the past. And he's looking at his son and realizing something is significant up with my son, and there's something going on. Certainly these disciples can help because they've helped other people. But he gets there, and they're unable to help. The disciples have not been able to cast out this demon. And so what happens? Well, he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, he says to them, he wants to help. But how, look how Jesus responds to this. In verse 19, after hearing that the disciples can't cast out this demon, he says in verse 19, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? And, and as we hear this, Jesus calling them a faithless generation, we think, what, what's going on with that? Why a faithless generation and it's, it's clear in jesus's attitude here that there's some things that they should have got by now that there are things that jesus he said how long am i to be with you and you hear this idea that he's been teaching and teaching and teaching but they're not getting it yet i mean imagine a coach that uh think about the sport you may have played in high school or uh activity you've been involved with and the coach and you run play after play after play and you practice it and practice it and practice it and practice you got it down it works great and it looks good you get onto the field and execution just absolutely falls apart nobody's going to the right position everybody's being self all kinds of problems going on and what's the coach on the sideline doing he's shaking his head and thinking like how long am I going to be with you guys? How long do I... Ha are you, when are you going to get this? Because they're missing something. And, and we're going to see in a minute what it is that they're missing. But, but, but Jesus is, is indicating that they've been able to do this in the past. Now they're not. Why not? What's, what's missing? And Jesus is clear in this that it's something they should get. Well, let's read on. It says, so they brought, the, and so Jesus says, bring him to me, which is a wonderful picture of our Savior, right? He loves people to come to him to help, give help and hope. And he brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell to the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. So the boy shows up, the demon sees Jesus, the demon who's possessing this boy, and he throws the boy to the ground. All right? And he's having this seizure, he's having this, 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 this episode that, that, that dad's like, this is what I deal with all the time. And Jesus, in verse 21, compassionately asks him, he says, how long has, he been this, how long has this been happening? So Jesus is asking questions. He, he wants to learn this story. 
He, he wants to understand the struggle that is going on in this. And the dad says it's been going on from childhood. And we realize this dad's been dealing with this for years. And then it says in verse 22, he adds this, and it often cast him into a fire and into water to destroy him. Which again, we see this is more than just a physiological episode going on. This is more than something like epilepsy. What's going on here is this is this, this demon that is possessing this boy wants to destroy him. And so when there's fire around or there's water around, the, the sends him into this seizure with the idea of destroying him. And we see this demon desiring to do this. And we would read, this shouldn't surprise us, as we read in John 10 that we're told this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And what is the thief doing to this boy? Destroying his life. What is he doing to the life of this family? He's destroying it. And as the disciples are unable to do this, that Jesus has compassion. And so we begin this morning by recognizing that, that these faithless believers, these faithless believers are unable to accomplish the supernatural work of Jesus. This boy still is demon-possessed. And, and, and this dad knows Jesus can do anything, and, and, and the, the disciples can. And he says to Jesus, he says to him, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. If you can do anything. It's interesting, he says if, because look at Jesus' response in 23. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible with him who believes. And Jesus is, is stating what we've been reading about all through the book of Mark. Jesus has authority. Jesus has a power. Jesus can calm storms. Jesus can raise the dead. He can heal the sick. Jesus can open blind eyes. Jesus can heal paralyzed hands. He is able to do all of these different things. And this father says, if you can, help us. And it's interesting, even the father's plea, he says, look how verse 22 ends. Have compassion on who? What's it say? Have compassion on us. It's interesting, he doesn't just say, have compassion on my son, which is certainly what he wants, right? But he's saying, have compassion on us, because who else is being affected by the problems with this child? The mom, the dad, the brother, probably the whole family's been impacted by this. I mean, we see that, I mean, today, that somebody that has a significant problem in a family, a, a, a child with a problem, that it, it, it affects the whole family. And the whole family needs compassion. And, and this dad cries out, help us. It's hurting me. It's hurting my son. And if you'll heal my son, it will help all of us. So what's Jesus' response? Jesus says, if you can, he says to this, all things are possible for him who believes. And, and this is, reflects us back to a passage in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, 17. Some of you know a song by this. It says, ah, Lord God. It is you who have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for our Lord. Jesus, in this indication, is showing us that he is the Messiah, that he is God. He has all authority. And this Father is saying, if you can, and Jesus is saying, Look, there's not a question of if. If is a done deal. I have all authority. This is going to happen. But he says, all things are possible for the one who what? Believes. 
And we realize there's a significant piece in here of this power of God and the needs of people being connected by belief. How do we tap the power of God? It's by this belief. And so, Jesus can do all things, and Jesus can do all things, and it's so the Father then, in verse 24, immediately, the father, cry, the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. Thinking about that passage, that statement in the midst of this passage. Remember we saw a couple weeks ago about the guy that was blind, and Jesus opened his eyes, but the guy saw people, and they were walking around. They looked like trees. His vision wasn't sharp. And then Jesus spit, made mud, and opened up and rubbed it on his eyes, and then the guy could see clearly. And, and we saw in that that the spiritual truth, that when God opens our eyes to truth, there is spiritual perception that still needs to grow. And so what's happening? This dad says, I believe my eyes are open. Help my unbelief because I don't see clearly yet. I don't see clearly yet. And that's, that's where we all find ourselves. If you're a follower of Jesus, there's a level that you say, I believe. But we'd also realize our spiritual perception must continually grow. And so in this passage, we see that Jesus is caring about, and he's going to meet the needs of this boy. And what we see in this is that Jesus cares about our needs. And then Jesus seeks to build our faith through his compassionate work. So what does Jesus do? It says that Jesus, in verse 25, when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter again. And then we read on what happens. The spirit comes out. It convulses this boy. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible kind of convulsion. And they think this boy's dead. But Jesus reaches down, takes his hand, and the kid stands up, and he's healed. And we see the compassion of Jesus at work. And so, what did the dad say? I believe, do what? Help my unbelief. What did Jesus do to help his unbelief? He showed him his power. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because I believe, help my unbelief. There's a level that we, we need to continue to learn more truth. But there are times whenever I'm learning and 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 learning. But I'm not growing any stronger. My face's not growing. My head's getting fatter maybe. But I'm not really much happening beyond that. Because I'm not seeing the power of God at work. I'm not seeing this. And so my, my, my head may be swelled, but seeing much work of God. And, and this, this gap that can often exist. And so what does Jesus do to help this man who says, I believe, help my unbelief? What does Jesus do to sharpen his vision? Jesus shows him his power. And what happens? It certainly would grow this dad's faith. And I think about that in our own life, that Jesus seeks to build our faith through his compassionate work in and through us. And in the first place, we should see that. If you're a follower of Jesus, see that is that Jesus builds our faith through the compassionate work of the gospel. What do I mean by that? That means if, if God has opened your eyes to the beauty of Jesus, the ugliness of your sin, and the perfect work of him restoring us to the Father by his death, burial, and resurrection, that should build our faith. You see, I'm, I'm often burdened that 
we think of our salvation, and we think about salvation, and I hear people say this in their testimony, or I'm, we'll be sharing the gospel with somebody, and they'll we'll talk about the gospel, and they say, well, I did that. Meaning they prayed a prayer, meaning they went forward, meaning they got, they mean something, but I did that. And this idea is, I've, I know that information, and I've tucked it away, but it makes no difference to my life at all today. And I'm still struggling. I'm trying to figure all this out. And, you know, I'm pretty good now. I mean, I, I know I believe that stuff. But there's no struggle inside them that says, I believe, help my unbelief. Because they think they got it all figured out. Got all the faith I need. Got all that I need. I mean, I got prayer. I got my ticket to heaven. I'm good to go. So why do I need this? But the Father says, help my unbelief. And I want to encourage you this morning. The first, first idea of this even is to believe is to ask you the question, do you truly believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you truly believe that in eternity past, God had this incredible plan of redemption that flushes out in him creating a world, this beautiful, incredible creation, and putting people like us here to glorify him? but that we have all gone astray, every one of us, our own way. We have sinned and rebelled against the holy God. We have lied. We have stolen. We had to have immoral thoughts. We've done things we know were wrong, and, and this whole list. And yet we often want to minimize it and say, well, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Well, yeah, it's not that bad to you and your neighbors, but it's an incredible offense to a holy God who has given us everything. And we're rebels and we're separated from God because of our sin. But God in his love for us sent Jesus to come and get us. He sent him on a rescue mission to come and rescue us from our sin and from our rebellion and from the wrath of God that we deserve. And he sent Jesus to come and to take all of our sins upon himself and to receive the punishment that we deserve. And he received that punishment and he dies on the cross and he's buried. And he says, it is finished and three days later, the tomb's empty because Jesus rose victoriously over sin and death. That's the gospel. And that is the truth that should continually be shaping our lives. We say often, I do what I do because I want what I want, and I want what I want because I love what I love. And what's our problem at the, at the deepest level is that we love ourselves. And what does the gospel show up to do to uproot that? to uproot this love for self and replace it with a greater love, a love for Jesus. And whenever that root, that root is replaced and I love Jesus, now my life starts to bear different fruit. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that we embrace. And as we understand that, the question is, am I living according to this? God, I believe, help my unbelief. And when this dad says, help my unbelief, he is saying, Help remove the doubts that I have. Help me remove all the things that are going to hinder my growing faith. And I pray that we would have that same heart, that we would have this heart that God would, would remove from us these things that would keep us from believing. And we would watch God build our faith. So as we see this, that God builds our faith through his compassionate work. And I would describe it this way. Think about if we're going to build a brick building. We have this cornerstone that's going to set the pace for everything. And this cornerstone is Jesus. Okay? But what happens if you just put like bricks on top of one another without any mortar? What happens to the building? Wind comes, blows it down, right? So here's my illustration. I think it works. If you, It might have some holes because I'm still playing with it. But... This cornerstone, Jesus has laid the foundation. 
what do we do? We come along and our faith is the mortar that goes on top. And now what does that provide for? That provides for another work of God to accomplish. And what does God do? Then we believe. And when we believe, what happens? More works of God. And we believe in more works of God. And God builds in us this superstructure of faith that we become people who, Lord, I believe and help my unbelief. And how does he help our unbelief? By giving us more bricks. And what do we have to do? We need to continue to believe, add faith to that. Another brick goes and God builds us step by step, brick by brick, because we love and we're seeking to live for Jesus. And I would ask you the question, is God building your faith? Is God growing you? Is he changing you? You know, I think about if God uses his works to build our faith, it's one of the things I love about Isabel's testimony about soccer camp, is what does it do? I take a step of faith and God works. As a little girl asking her, what salvation means? I didn't have an opportunity to talk with her about that. That's, that's the work of God and softening that child's heart. And then we hear others, the gospel goes forth and some kids praying to receive Jesus as their Savior. We were talking to some of the camp staff last night and, and I just talked to two people and between the two of them, there are five that are campers were saved. And we think about that. What does that do? That work of God builds our faith. And that work shows up and we continue to believe and we continue to grow and we say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, as the passage then continues, where, where, what happens next? Let's look in verse 28. So, the boy's been healed, dad, Jesus has built this dad's faith, the crowd came running, Jesus healed the boy before the crowd all got there. And then in verse 28, when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him pre- privately, why couldn't we cast, why could we not cast it out? And they're asking a good question. I mean, Jesus, we were able to cast out demons before. We, we, we had that before, but why not this one? And Jesus says to him, this kind, and you can almost hear the disciples, on, they're, they're like leaning forward. And when they hear Jesus say, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And, and if I'm in the room, here's my sanctified imagination the disciples are all leaning forward he says that it can only be driven out by prayer and they're like oh and then they're like oh because the first oh is oh it's a power of god only god it's a special kind of demon that only comes out by prayer and they're like oh and then they're like oh because if it only comes out by prayer could they have driven out this demon absolutely because what does this communicate? They believed, but they needed help with their unbelief. What's Jesus doing for these people? He's helping the disciples' unbelief because the, they, these, they were, these disciples are living like faithless believers. They're living like us. I mean, well, listen, when it came to doing the supernatural work of God, casting out these demons, listen... I'm, I'm guessing in this passage that they were likely trusting in their experience. We've done this before. We've cast out other demons. Okay, bring them here. We'll get, we got this done. Okay, we know this. History's all done. I mean, they're not even thinking about praying about it because they just know this is how we do stuff. And so they'd say, in the name of Jesus or however they would do it, come out and nothing happened. And they're like, well, that's weird. They're tr- maybe trusting their experience. Maybe they're trusting their own abilities. We're disciples of Jesus. 
We've been given authority over demons. We have this. And so we certainly believe this. We believe these things are true. And we believe these things. We have this ability. But that demon doesn't come out. Why not? Or, or maybe they're, they're just trusting their faith. We believe. We believe Jesus can cast out demons. We believe that God's given us the power to cast out demons. We believe all that. Now, demon come out. Because what aren't they doing? They didn't pray. This one comes out only by prayer. If we look, now, think with me. What does Jesus say all the way back up in verse 19? How, what's Jesus' response? The disciples can't cast out this demon. What does he say? Oh, faithless generation. Why hasn't the demon been cast out? The demon has not been cast out because of their lack of faith. How did they demonstrate their lack of faith? They weren't praying. And they were assuming God would do this work apart from their praying. And so the math of the passage looks at like this. If we did math, it says belief does not equal faith. Let me, let me add it back up. Belief minus prayer equals a faithless generation. I believe, but I'm not praying. That's a faithless generation. So how does it fix it? Belief trust plus prayer equals what? Uh, and this is kind of math. It's not real math, okay? So if we did it this way, belief minus prayer equals a faithless generation. What does belief plus prayer produce? A faithful generation. A faithful generation. And I would just ask the question, what kind of generation do we want to be? Faithless or faithful? Listen, we cannot accomplish the supernatural work of God on our own. We never can, and we never will be able to. We never have, we never will. We must depend on God. Listen, if we are not praying, we're not trusting. We're not trusting God. If we're not praying, what are we trusting in? Our abilities, our experience, past experiences, that God's just going to work just because I want him to work. If I'm not praying, but I expect God to work... That doesn't sound very wise, does it? And as we recognize this, that, that we, the supernatural work of God does not get done without prayer. And so in this passage, spirits aren't cast out. In our context, without prayer, people aren't converted. Kids aren't saved. Teens don't grow to love Jesus. Husbands don't love their wives as Christ loves the church. Wives don't submit and honor their husbands as God has called them to. Neighbors aren't loved like they should be loved. As we think about what happens in a faithless generation, is we get what we can do. We, we, we accomplish what we can accomplish. And that's not the supernatural work of God. And God calls us. He said, listen, Jesus even told his disciples that he tells us this in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he that bears much fruit. Here he says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we say, but I believe. But why aren't the supernatural works of God being accomplished? Because I believe that we believe, but we aren't seeking God. Help my unbelief. 
listen, are we satisfied with merely accomplishing what we can accomplish on our own in our own individual lives? And we see Jesus confront this. Jesus confronts our, Jesus confronts our lack of supernatural power by challenging us to pray. Are we content to be unbelieving believers? Or will we cry out like this dad, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So I put together a little picture that pictures help me. How does this work in this passage? The dad says, I believe. But what's happened? There's, the demon hasn't been cast out. The disciples say, I believe, but the demon isn't cast out. Well, how does the demon get cast out? Through what Jesus is saying. By I believe that I pray, and what does God do? God works. And what does God work do? So I prayed and God answers my prayer. What does that do? That builds my faith. And as it builds my faith, what should it also encourage? It encourages me to pray more. And as I pray, I see God work. Now, we recognize that we don't bind God by our prayers. Okay? I mean, God oftentimes does not answer our prayers for a variety of reasons. But we recognize if we are thinking that God's going to do his work apart from us praying... We are presumptuous when God says to pray, ask, seek, knock. He says pray at all times. If we see this, and I want to challenge you this morning, this isn't complicated, but it's not easy. It's not complicated, but it's not easy. I think that oftentimes, if you are like me, I know this, I see this in my own heart, I often assume that God will work simply because we're going through the motions and doing the right things. We're having Bible studies, we're worshiping on Sundays, we're singing, we're teaching kids, we're having meetings, we're having things really organized, all these things are going on, and we think, well, how much supernatural power are we seeing? And I look at my own life and curious about our corporate life and how are we doing in prayer? And I believe there's a direct link between prayerlessness and a lack of God's work in us. I mean, I... Listen, we had a great prayer service last Sunday night. Most of you weren't here. You say, well, my schedule's busy. We had one a few months ago. Guess what? Most of you weren't here. And I don't say that primarily to beat you up, but to ask, do we truly believe that God works through prayer? Or do we believe that God's just going to work because we want him to? And that we would be challenged in this and recognize that we are called to be people of faith. And in this context of this big passage, at the end of chapter 8, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And what is a part of denying myself looks like? It's like, I'm going to spend less time on Twitter, less time on Facebook, less time doing I'm going to discipline myself to pray. And you say, well, that's, I get this, but I'm not sure where to start. Great question. Here's where to start. All right? So, start here. God, I believe, help my unbelief. Start there. Because I'm confident that you believe that if you're here on Sunday morning, for the most part, most of you believe, but you say, God, I believe, help my unbelief. Then we would pray, God, forgive us, forgive me for my lack of prayer and for living as a faithless believer. And that we would pray, God, help us 
to pray like we truly believe that you can do all things. And apart from you, we can do nothing. And as we conclude this morning, I'm going to just, I've asked Beth to play a little bit. And I just want to encourage us to pray. Just where you're sitting right now, maybe use these as prayer prompts to talk about this passage and what we see in this, about a faithless generation, a father who says, I believe, help my unbelief, disciples who are gently rebuked by saying to them that this kind of prayer comes out, this kind of spirit only comes out by prayer, and that we would humble ourselves and we would be praying prayers like this and saying, God, make us a praying people. Let's just take a few moments to pray and then I'll have rushers come a few minutes and we'll receive our offering. Let's pray.